This morning, God's Word comes to us from Psalm 5. You may turn there in your Bibles. That is also printed in the worship folder this morning. Psalm 5, and we'll be reading the 12 verses of this psalm. Psalm 5, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But... Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Also in your worship folder this morning, go back just a little bit, and you will see Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And this morning, I will read for you questions 9 through 11. From Lord's Day 4, question 9, But doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? The answer, no, God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, tempted by the devil, in reckless disobedience, robbed himself and his descendants of these gifts. Question 10. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry about the sin we are born with, as well as the sins we personally commit. As a just judge, he punishes them now and in eternity. He has declared, Cursed be the one who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And question 11. But isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful, 
but he is also just. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. Well, we come this morning to the last Lord's Day in the Heidelberg Catechism that deals directly with the matter of our sin and our misery. Uh, We've been talking about that for the last few times we've studied the Catechism together. We noticed, however, that the sin section, the misery section, is the shortest in the Catechism. We do not dwell on our sin, but it is that which prepares us to understand the grace of God. We talked about how we come to know our sin. And as I mentioned earlier in the reading of Romans, we come to know our sin through the law of God. We talked last time about whose fault is our sin. May we point the finger at God for the sins we commit, after all, He created us. Should we point the finger at Satan, after all, He tempted us. No, the fault of our sin lies with us because of the actions of our first parents, Adam and Eve. This morning, we're going to deal with some of the objections to that truth. Perhaps if you've uh, talked with others about the nature of our sin, and we say, well, we're sinful because Adam and Eve committed sins. That just doesn't seem right. You'll get objections from people. That, That doesn't really seem fair. We didn't do it. We weren't there making the choice. Why is it that we have the consequence of Adam and Eve's sinful choice? Perhaps you've had those questions in your own mind. How do we, how do we deal with the fact that, that although we were not there at creation, we are still receiving the uh, condemnation that was given to Adam in creation? They sinned, and yet we're held accountable. We're going to look at some of those objections as they're brought up for us in Lord's Day 4. The Catechism anticipates some of these questions about the nature of Adam's sin and its relation to our culpability. We're going to do that in light of Psalm 5. Psalm 5, which is an absolutely beautiful psalm. I know they're all good, but Psalm 5 is a really, really beautiful psalm because it so wonderfully lays out both the blessing of belonging to God and the warning for those who would refuse to heed the call of God and to walk in His ways. It beautifully highlights for us both God's justice and His mercy. And as we saw in our series on the Psalms not so long ago, that's typical of the Psalter. The Psalms give us that that balanced, full view of who God is. He is merciful and He is just. So this morning we look at uh, the nature of our relationship with Adam, our condemnation in him. Uh, I've entitled the sermon, Man's Questions and God's Answers. The first question, question nine. But doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? Is God being fair in requiring what I cannot do? God's standard is still perfection. 
and yet I know I'm fallen and sinful. That just doesn't seem fair. That God requires what I am unable to give to him. Well, the first thing we have to remember when we talk about the idea of fairness is that our idea of fairness, as with all of our ideas, is tainted with sin. We do not see clearly what is fair and what is not. Sin affects even our ability to understand what might be fair around us. Only God sees clearly. So when we begin to charge God with being not fair, we remind ourselves we are coming from a position of disadvantage. The disadvantage of a fallen, sinful nature. Is God fair? Is he somehow being, uh, given, doing an injustice to us? And the Catechism reminds us, no, this is no injustice because God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man was created able to do what God called him to do. It might be something like this, kids. Imagine, imagine I wanted to have someone build a house for me. I wanted to build a new house. And so I, I went to the, the house builder and I said to him, I want you to build me this house. And I give him all he needs, all the money necessary, everything, all the plans. And I say, I'm going to be gone for a year. And when I come back, you'll have my house built for me. I give him everything necessary to build that house. And I'm gone for a year and I come back but there's no house. And I say to the builder, why, why didn't you build me a house? And his response is, I was unable to. I said, you were unable to? I gave you everything necessary. I gave you all the money up front. I gave you the plans you needed. He says, yeah, but, but I had some bills to pay, so I spent some money on this. And then I took a vacation myself, so I spent some money on that. In fact, I squandered all the money you gave me. Now, he's still accountable. He had been given everything necessary to do the task. God gave Adam everything necessary to do the task, to offer obedience to him. And yet man, Adam, through his reckless disobedience, lost that ability which he had in creation. Adam had everything necessary. He was created perfect. He was created in the image of God. He cannot say, I didn't have what was required of me. But Adam, through his reckless disobedience, lost the ability. And we still might say, well, yeah, but that was Adam. That was Adam. I wouldn't have responded that way. God still be, being unfair somehow for me being charged with what Adam did. Well, again, one of the first things we have to say is that's a fairly arrogant response. Adam was perfect. Adam was living in a perfect creation, a perfect being in a perfect creation, yet he chose to sin. Who am I to think I would have done any better? that I would have made a better choice than Adam. He is my father. In fact, that, that's, that's the key. 
we are linked to Adam. His actions, his choices are linked with us now. We sometimes refer to that as Adam's federal headship. Adam is the head over all creation. He is the head over all of his descendants. And his choices, because he is the head, because I am linked with him, his choices are my choices. The things that he chose to do, I choose to do because of that link, because of his federal headship. And even then we might say or hear the objection, but that still doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that what Adam did is credited to me. If we are not linked to the first Adam by his federal headship, neither can we be linked to the second Adam. We are linked to Jesus Christ. And because of federal headship, his actions become our actions. If we complain about being linked with Adam, then we would say, well, then we cannot be linked with Christ either. If you have a Bible with you, or otherwise look this up later today, uh, read Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 speaks about that link with our federal head. Romans 5, reading at verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, children, through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's our federal headship in Adam. Death comes through him, and we are linked with him because all sin. Paul goes on. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many? The power of the gospel and the Christ's grace is greater than Adam's sin. Yes, we are all linked to him in his sin, but Jesus Christ came and died for the many. And we find our hope in our link with him. Paul concludes, verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We do not complain about our federal headship with Adam, about our link with him, because if we are not linked to the first Adam, we cannot be linked to the second Adam. God is gracious in making that federal headship link. Yes, we are found in Adam's sin. His sin becomes our sin. But we are also found in Jesus Christ. And his righteousness becomes our righteousness. We cannot charge God with being unfair. He is more than fair to us. What about 
What about God's justice? Question and answer 10. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry about the sin we are born with as well as the sin we personally commit. Maybe God will just say, your sin's not that big of a deal. You know what? I'm just going to ignore your sin. Yes, I know you have offended. I know you've done things that are wrong, but I'm just going to let it go. Even we know in our fallen concept of justice, that is not just. If we had a judge who had a man standing before him who was clearly guilty of heinous crimes, and the judge said, I know you are guilty of all the charges against you, but you know what? I'll just let you go. We would say, how unjust. That's not not a judge. A judge condemns those who are justly standing before him, and the evidence is against him. Is God lacking justice? Can he just let sin go unpunished? No, he can't. He is a just judge, and therefore he judges sin. Look at our text, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. God is terribly angry about sin. The the clarity of Psalm 5 maybe is almost too jarring for us, but describes God's righteous anger toward those who sin. Look at verse 6. You destroy those who speak lies, The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God's just judgment. Again, the language is so clear, so powerful. God hates all evildoers. There was uh, uh, an exchange in the magazine Christian Renewal, the last couple um, editions about the nature of God's love. Does God love everyone, or does God hate the reprobate? And the, uh, the author of the original article argues that God hates the reprobate. Um, but someone might say to you, but, but, but doesn't, God, doesn't God love the sinner, but hate the sin? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that, that God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. That formulation simply is not helpful for us because it doesn't reflect the clarity of Scripture. One thing Psalm 5 does for us is it reminds us that God punishes sinners, not just sin. Look what he says in verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Not that boasting won't stand before your eyes. The boastful will not stand before your eyes. Next phrase, you hate all evildoers. Not just that God hates evil, he hates the evildoer. You destroy those who speak lies. Not just God hates lying, God hates those who speak the lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now that's not common to hear today, that God hates the reprobate. 
but that reflects the truth of Scripture. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when God came to the world in the flood and Noah has closed the door of the ark and the rains come and the waters begin to rise and Noah calls out from the bow of the boat, don't worry, it's the sin being punished, not the sinner. It makes no sense. God punishes sinners. And we take account of that. God is terribly angry about the sins we personally commit. They are no small offense to him, but they are offense against his majesty. Those things that I do that I know I should not. God has laid out the path of righteousness. Live this way! And yet so often I choose to go my own way. God has said, there are certain things we should not do, and yet I find myself drawn to them. God is terribly angry about the sins we personally commit. And, and the confession reminds us about the sin we are born with. We are born sinners. Again, that federal headship with Adam. Even our children born in sin. One of the, one of the best parts of my work as a minister is when someone has a baby and I get to go to the hospital and visit the baby. I love going to see the babies. And, and you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, what a, what a sweet baby and what an adorable baby and what a happy baby. But I never say, I never say, what an innocent baby. Even our children are born fallen in sin. God is terribly angry about the sins we personally commit, about the sins that we are born with. And as a just judge, he punishes sin. Our confession reminds us he punishes sin both now and in eternity. But there is a difference between those punishments. God punishes sin now. We experience the consequence of our sin now so that we might be brought to repentance. God punishes us that we might recognize our sin as sin and confess that to him. Even God's punishment is a demonstration of his love. The Lord disciplines those that he loves. So when God comes to us and we experience the consequence, the fallen consequence of our sin, it is because he loves us and desires us to turn from that sin, to confess that sin, to repent, and to return to fellowship with him. God judges our sin now for our good. If we fail to heed that punishment, if we fail to heed that judgment, if we deliberately and persistently refuse to humble our hearts before God, he judges our sin in eternity. Verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Verse 10, make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of, your tra of their transgressions, cast them out. 
for they have rebelled against you. When we deliberately and persistently fail to heed the call of God, the punishment is not only for now, but the punishment is for eternity. So once again this morning, God calls to you. He pleads with you. He implores you. If you are feeling the weight of your sin, if you are feeling the just judgment of God, do not ignore that. It's an expression of His love. It's an expression of His care for you. Heed that call and confess your sins before Him. Turn from those wicked ways and be restored to fellowship with God. That's His call in the judgments, in the punishments that He brings to us. Now all this talk about God's wrath, God hating the evildoer, God's judgment. We say, but, 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 but isn't God merciful? Isn't God a God of love? And that's, that's where our confession takes us to as well. After this discussion, the last question in the sin and misery section, but isn't God also merciful? And the answer, God is certainly merciful. Oh, it's not as if there's no hope. When we hear these words of judgment and hating the sinner, it's not as if there's no hope for us. God is merciful, and He is also just. We don't, we don't drive a wedge between God's mercy on one hand and His justice on the other, but God is perfectly both. In Him, they fit together perfectly. And God, God is just. He will punish sins, but He punishes them in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are the recipients of that grace and mercy. After these first six verses describing God's anger toward the sinner, look at verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Yes, God is perfect in justice. He is also perfect in mercy. And because of that mercy, we will bow down toward our God in worship. Perfectly merciful, perfectly just. And only because of the justice found in Jesus Christ, God's punishment of Him in our place, can we enter His house and enjoy his blessing. Look at verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. God's blessing of righteousness. God's blessing to his people. God's blessing to cover us with his favor. All the blessings that Jesus Christ enjoyed given to us. We are now seen as perfectly holy and righteous as God sees us in Him. It is your steadfast love. It is your abundant mercy. It's not what we have done. It is the mercy and grace of God. Is God also merciful? He certainly is. And because of His mercy, we are not consumed. This just judge, this, this perfect uh, uh, righteous judge has judged our sins in Jesus Christ. That's that's the ultimate answer to our questions. It's not what we have done. It's not as if God is unfair. It's not as if God is unjust. But he demonstrates his justice and his mercy in Jesus Christ. Justice in having sins punished. Mercy in crediting Christ's righteousness to us. In taking his blood instead of our blood. This is the blessing God gives to those who are found in him. We might have questions 
about God's fairness, about his justice, about his mercy, we look to Jesus Christ, the one in whom all of these things come perfectly together. We heed the warnings, heed the warnings of turning away from our sin when God comes in this life to punish us, that we might know the blessing of living not only in this life, but in the life to come with him forever. Let's join together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we confess that your word at times speaks in what we hear as harsh ways, difficult things, and yet we know it is your word, O God, that we are reading. We thank you that you are the God who is just, and we recognize your justice in punishing us because of the sins of our father Adam, and we praise you for your justice in seeing us linked with your Son, Jesus Christ, that he did everything necessary to, to secure our eternity with you. Lord God, help us to leave this morning rejoicing in that salvation which you have accomplished for us. You do not leave us in our sins, but you've punished your own Son that we might have life. Lord God, receive our thanks and receive our praise. For Jesus' sake, amen.